Arr, I'm Mark from Tabletop Radio Hour, and you're listening to Save for Half. And if you're not, you'd have no idea what I just said. School games and the modern games inspired by them. Greetings one and all to the Safer Half Podcast, a podcast about old school games and the modern games inspired by them. There is a scurrilous rumor going around the internet that I am DM Mike. There's an even worse one around that she is DM Liz. Lies. There's a chance that's DM Corbett over there. Yep, fake news. And everybody knows DM Jim is here. That's what they call me, but the Great Ghost is my name. (laughs) Bah! We're here to talk as old school as you can get with original Dungeons & Dragons, the version edited by Greyharp, a single volume of the Little Brown Books and selected sections of the Greyhawk supplement. So we're going to talk about that, but first, a very brief, how do we enjoy North Texas, everybody? It will be so brief. (laughs) yes not (laughs) well we were all there so that was nice yeah that was really nice having us all together and we even have photos to prove it corbett (laughs) yay corbett except that he bought gobs of chocolate and stuck it in our hat boo corbett (laughs) and we took most of it home double boo corbett but i was able to take it to work and most of it Got eaten by my coworkers. Yay, Liz's coworkers! Yay! <laughs> by Jim Math, you only have to show up at one more North Texas Con with the rest of us to make up for all the times you told us you were coming. <laughs> <laughs> so just one more, and you're you're good. You're an optimist. I'll work on it. <laughs> no, no, the next North Texas RPG Con, and it's good. Not just another, because he could come to another in six years, you know. I love you, my wargaming brother. <laughs> <laughs> I played a lot of SPI war games. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have got two patrons, and one of them I may have already shouted out for before, but if not... You know, Better twice than be... to miss them. That's, That's right. True. So, two new patrons to do shoutouts for. We have Herb in and David R., And they both became patrons for our Patreon, and we appreciate the heck out of you, and you're awesome. We love you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dave and Herb. Give yourself each a thousand experience points. You earned it. Yeah, that's big stuff. Bonus XP up to, but not including two levels of experience. That's right. (laughs) Don't forget your prime rec bonuses, guys. Very important. (laughs) All right. Well, OD&D, let's talk Mike and the Mechanics. (laughs) 
It's time for Mike and the Mechanics. Sorry, sorry. That's Mike and the Mechanics of the game. My bad. If I have to explain the Dungeons and Dragons rules to folks, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) I will say this. Something that was in the original rules that I actually never caught on to. I knew all weapons were D6. What I didn't realize is all hit die were D6. The way they did it was fighters got a D6 every level, but clerics and magic users got them in kind of sparse levels. You know how like when they introduced weapon proficiencies in AD&D, you you know like fighters got one at every couple of levels, but clerics didn't get them to every thir- every three levels, thieves every four levels, mm. that sort of stuff. That's kind of how they did the hit die. You're a second level magic user. What do I get for hit points? One hit point. <laughs> yep. And you won't get another roll till like level 4. Or something like that. So it's like, I guess they went to the polyhedrons because it's just easier. But on the other hand, you could roll a six for your hit die. Mm. That's the only big thing that stood out to me for the mechanics. Did it stand out to anyone else without stealing any of Jim's top fives? Because that was number two right there. <laughs> three odd, three odd, three odd. Well, talk about it anyway. <laughs> Fine. We're going to go into first impressions. It's just a first impression. I could be totally wrong. It's only a first impression. And only impression is wrong. It never can hurt. Since it was your choice, Jim, you go first. What did you think of it? I I wanted to cuss just then. Sorry, I got very enthusiastic about the rule set. <laughs> it's okay. Corbett will bleep you out like he does Liz all the time. All right. Bleep away. I <laughs> love these rules. And when I first saw them, it's very recently. It's been in the past year. They resolved an argument that I've had with Tim Cask for over 10 years. Tim has always said that the uh, three little brown books were a complete game system. They were just written by and for war gamers. And if you were a war gamer, you understood them. And I've always taken the position that uh, it was more of an incomplete game master kit that required lots of heavy lifting and patching to run as a system well guess what i was wrong and tim was right these, <laughs> these, these rules prove it bah. well it did have bits of greyhawk in it so you know i mean did it because there were things that i know were in greyhawk that weren't in this not as much as you think i said yeah bits of greyhawk i don't want to say anything without giving away one of my my top fives so well they used a lot of art and stuff from the later versions too probably bits of everything i think well, let's face it it's not like it was deep heavy duty into art to begin with the three lbbs yeah, good point i'll get into it more as we do the show but uh my first impression was highly favorable corbett i was super incredibly excited about this when we were going to have a super secret guest on that jim had promised and then fell through with then he gave us this so i should be absolutely bitter but it was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Certainly better than having to review the three LBBs and, and reading them as originally printed. Although I guess it yeah, would give true. a lot more on the top five, but... <laughs> okay, Liz? All right. My first impression, very well edited and formatted. All the rules where they need to be. Nice, easy-to-read typeface, reminiscent of the BX books. Overall, this was just a joy to go through. And Jim is right. There were rules from the Little Brown Books 
that I either never knew or I had forgotten about, but just having it in this format where everything kind of makes sense where it is, it's like, oh, I mean, there's stuff that kind of surprised me or, oh, I had totally forgotten that was part of my books. Yeah. This was really, really well done and well overdue. Okay. My view... Yeah, I I will echo Liz. I mean, I only played original D&D about three or four months before Delta Area War Games kind of moved over to advanced D&D because that was advanced. But there were several rules in there that I was just kind of like, huh? And I think part of what helps plug those holes is that Greyharp not only takes bits from Greyhawk, he also takes the bits from Chainmail rather than just having it referred to in the text. He brings those bits of Chainmail and puts directly in the text. So you can read everything more complete. I, I think that is very, very helpful rather than jumping from booklet to booklet trying to hunt up things. Not that Chainmail was actually the absolute clearest thing in the world either. It was clearer than the original Brown books simply because it was a miniatures war game. But yeah, I think it's really good and it's certainly worth the amount you pay for it <laughs> <laughs> which is free a little hard to find online but not that hard first we'll go to a pod break and then top five what do you get when a fantasy gaming horror sci-fi geek and an army veteran history nerd want to do a comic book related podcast. Why? You get the Weird Warriors podcast, of course. Weird War Tales was a 124 issue DC comic book series published from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll sidetrack on to an occasional special mission where we discuss an issue of a like themed comic book from a different title or publisher. There are also the rare Road Warriors episodes where we report on comic related road trips like convention or visiting the homes and grave sites of comic greats. We'll nitpick what the comics creative team got wrong and crawl about what they got right. We'll also break down the facts behind the fiction in the stories, which is sometimes quite weird in its own right. Even the letters page and our favorite ads can't escape our judgment just as we can't escape yours in our own dead letter office mailbag. Torpedo-eating dinosaurs. Haunted chateaus. Time-traveling rats. Zombie robots. Day-walking vampires. Gargoyle armies. And that's just in the first 20 Weird War Tales episodes. So, report for duty with the Weird Warriors podcast with Max and Rich, where we promise to make war no more. This is Eddie. And Matt from the No Class RPG Podcast. We're here to invite you to the Long Con. Long Con. We're Northeast Texas premier RPG event, just two hours east of Dallas or one hour west of Shreveport. We've got great games, vendors, and lots of your friends from North Texas RPG Con. Not to mention special guests Goodman Games, Brendan LaSalle, Weird Frontiers author David Beatty, Savage Worlds, Sean Roberson and Torg's John Watson, and quite a few others. So check us out on Tabletop Events. Badges on sale now. We'll see you November 11th, 12th, and 13th. You know, a couple of weeks ago, a long-haired young person came into our bank and said to me, I bet you won't lend me money to buy an electric guitar. Well, he was making $100 a week, and he was over 18, and I said, I bet you I will lend you money to buy an electric guitar. And I did. So what happens? The punk gets busted for possession of dangerous drugs, and we're out 350 bucks. There's one thing about kids nowadays. You don't have to give them credit. Universal Bank. We trust you about as far as we can throw you. 
This portion of the show is being brought to you by Oxygen, America's favorite gas. Remember, four out of five doctors surveyed recommend Oxygen for their patients who breathe air. The Save for Half Top 5 in 5, 4, 3, 2, Five with Jim. I will start at a high altitude. Your mileage may vary, but I think this particular rule set and the simplicity of it create a superior role-playing opportunity because with limited class and race choices, as the game started, it's on you to make the character special in actual play. You can go all the way around that track and do a lap and come back to this point, which is kind of what my role-playing life has been, but you don't need all the power gaming and fancy stuff to have a good time. It's just really simple, crystal clear. Rules light, I say? If you want to role play, you've given plenty of opportunities to do that. I agree. Okay. Corbett. It's actually a role. It's a role that everybody's going to know, but I think it's funny that they didn't fluff it out or something. The uh, stat, the description for wisdom, sounds like it's still a throwaway stat. Because strength, oh, it does this, this, and this. Intelligence does this, this, and this. You know, charisma does this, 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 and this. Constitution does this, this, and this. Dexterity does this, and this. And there's also wisdom, if you want it. <laughs> you need it to be a cleric. Sure. You know, that's pretty much, pretty much all you that's get. Probably true. Wisdom, prime requisite for clerics. Acts like it does for the tele- intelligence in, in magic users. It's like, okay. Kind of. <laughs> Your clerk is so wise, he's decided to put his life at risk in an underground ruin. I know. <laughs> <laughs> My faith will keep me forward. <laughs> but yeah, that is true. However, on the other hand, attributes are do not influence play nearly as much as in most other versions of D&D. Mm-hmm. So there's that, too. So I could argue a lot of the stats are kind of dump stats if you're not that concerned. But but yeah, it's wisdom. Eh. Even I'd say dexterity or charisma don't influence much. But they have a lot more to say about them. True. Very I true. would say strength along with wisdom. It's like maybe two sentences for strength, and that's it as well. You need strength to be a fighter. Uh, you can also use it to open traps and... Free art! Okay, it doesn't say and... Free art! But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Fine, Liz. What's your number five? <laughs> well, going off on that same thing, be- also because you're going straight from the Little Brown Books, you don't have the modifiers for either really high or really low scores on your abilities. That doesn't come into play at all. So if you have a high strength, you don't get plus whatever to hit or to damage. You just have strength. In that sense, it also makes it easier but if you've gotten used to crunchier game, I have an 18 strength and I want my plus three. It's like, yeah, you're not going to get that. Plus three, <laughs> plus six, or Yeah. On the other hand, it also means if you roll kind of mediocre, it's not much of a penalty. Yeah, it's not going to hurt you that much. No. You don't have to roll 4d6 and throw out the lowest. You can just roll 3d6. <laughs> just roll. Right. And if you get mediocre stats, well, so what? Okay. My five. Charisma, since we're talking about attributes. <laughs> One of the things I liked here that I never understood when I first read or played Brown Book is that when it says your limit of hirelings for charisma, that's only special hirelings, that is, classed or raced figures, rather than your standard zero-level man-at-arms. Now, that was never made clear in 
D&D to me. I didn't even get that in a D&D. It was just a total of, oh, these are the number of people you're limited to. Bow. And that's it. Yeah. How many hirelings of unusual nature a character can attract? Yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it. Most zero-level men-at-arms, you pay them. They're there. I mean, now their loyalty may be an issue, but you won't be limited to getting them as long as the gold holds out. That was a nifty thing. I would probably house rule that into all my D&Ds. I really like mm. that. Right on. Money talks. Yep. Okay, Jim, number four. My number four is the three-point alignment system, which is the way that Gods and Michael Moorcock intended. I just like the three-point alignment system. Apologies to Liz. In a way, this set of rules, they just cleaned up and edited the three-year little brown books and took more stuff out and added nothing in. So in a way, Holmes mm-hmm. basically is, is a retro clone of this, even though this came afterwards. And, <laughs> that, and I just like the three-point alignment system because it's simple and it leaves 90% of all table arguments over alignment behavior off the table and on social media where it belongs. <laughs> I just wish they'd call it good and evil and neutral. Yeah. Well, that's what I did in Victorious. <laughs> but for reals, I expected all of us to enjoy these rules, but I knew Liz was going to especially because essentially this is the same thing John Eric Holmes did, except they, mm-hmm. they much less editorial fussing. They just took the rules and cut and paste and reorganized them. So it's very, very similar to Holmes Basics. Just good, simple, straight D&D and the three alignment point system comes along with it. I think in Holmes Basic, it's already changed to four point, right? Five point. Forgive me. Yep. <laughs> I think it's a happy medium between between three point and nine point. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be perfectly happy with three point if they would just go ahead and call it good, neutral, evil. Yeah, because really that's how it is in effect. But anyway, let's discuss alignment for the next two hours. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. <laughs> okay, Corbett, save us. Actually, I wanted to ask a question about retainers because I was kind of confused on one point, and it's, I guess, my number four. Retainers. They keep your teeth in the voices. <laughs> oh, okay. You're so funny. I am. It's hilarious. The, no, they said that retainers cost 100 gold, but you could spend gold on dwarves because they like gold and elves like, what was it, magic and clerics will do stuff for piety. But then they go through the, the amount on each one and like a regular man at arms is like one gold per month. But then like a, a, an alchemist was like a thousand gold per month or something like that. I was kind of confused. So is it a, is it 100 and then the extra or is it the amount that they say? Well, they said dwarf, right? When they were talking about the discussion of like, if you're you're going to have a retainer, pay them an X amount of money and they'll just follow you around. And they said 100 gold was the base level. Like you're going to pay 100 gold and you're going to get a guy. Uh, so I presume that's by month. But then they go down to another chart and start having like the types of man at arms and the types of retainers. Well, you know what? I'm going to skip past all this because it's more or less a logistical question. But I thought it was really funny that as far as specialty retainers, semen are the cheapest. So if you want to get a lot of semen, you can load up your group. <laughs> probably the cheapest way to go well, come on that's a very common commodity <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't always find semen ready to go you've got to go look for them talk to your but, doctor um... <laughs> <laughs> wow i was expecting something about ladders <laughs> i've got that coming oh, okay <laughs> okay liz four i don't even know what to say anymore <laughs> <laughs> Okay, getting back to the whole alignment thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought we escaped it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, I just want to say, when it's talking about clerics, and it says, note that clerics are either law or chaos. No, there's no neutral. Which heavily implies to me that law equals good and chaos equals evil. 
Mm-hmm. And then it is further emphasized later in the Turning Undead section when it talks about evil clerics. And it comes, it goes right out and says evil clerics not being able to turn undead. Also, at the end of my cleric rant, the level titles are <laughs> awesome between the good cleric and the evil cleric. You just add the word evil in front of the title and you're good to go. An evil lot, Dalai Lama. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. An you know, this doctor evil. I'm an acolyte. An, an evil, evil acolyte. acolyte. <laughs> On one of those tables, they're anti-clerics, which is old school, too. It's not a paladin. It's an anti-paladin. You're not a good cleric. You're an anti-cleric. You're not even a blackguard. You're an anti-paladin. Yeah. <laughs> so when clerics and anti-clerics meet, there's, there's an this explosion. huge explosion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they must always be kept separated. Okay. That it? That's it. All right. Back to attributes. Though I would like to state they are in the correct order. Strength, intelligence, wisdom. Constitution, dexterity, charisma. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Correct order. You guys can be so picky. Of course we can. We're gamers. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, an interesting rule they have in there regarding people trying to change classes is you're allowed to change a class, but to do so, you have to have at least a 16 in the prime attribute of whatever class you're switching to. I like that because that kind of puts a soft block in without coming right out and saying humans cannot change classes or elves cannot change classes. Yeah, you can, but odds are you've got your highest number as your original class's prime attribute. What are the chances you've got a spare 16 to stick in? And that's assuming Mm. you're putting the numbers where you want them. What are the odds you're going to have them in two attributes? I like that. That's a way of putting a limit in without saying, no, you can't. Sort of the way Gygax did about playing monsters. Not saying you can't, but, you know. Well, I mean, it even says in here, you know, other character types. There is no Mm -hmm. reason that players cannot be allowed to play as virtually anything, provided they begin relatively weak weak and work up to the top. Yeah, You're not going to play a regular dragon. That's verbatim out of the little brown books. If you're playing a dragon, you're playing like a little baby dragon. Maybe you can toast a marshmallow. (laughs) What was the little dragon in Finney's Fingers with the glasses who liked to play chess? L something. Ah, I can't. Elroy, it's like you're going to start like that. You can play chess and and, and walk around the human height. That's oh, I it. totally play that. <laughs> That's not Murgatroyd, is it? Murgatroyd. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Murgatroyd. Mm. The L is silent, I guess. <laughs> okay. Three. Jim? Everybody's allowed to enjoy what they like. Jim's rules of thumb is if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you are playing the wrong edition. <laughs> that's, that's just the Jim rule. But Don't shoot me in emails. But in this, surprise, 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 magic missile was a Greyhawk edition, and there's no magic missile in this in this version of the rules. Along with just, you get to play a fighting man, a magic user, or a cleric, and in the appendices is thieves, and that's it. So this is as old school as magic users get. You've got that sleep spell, and after that, better have picked neutral as one of your three alignments and start throwing poison darts, or whatever you've got. <laughs> and I, I noticed that too. It's like, oh, magic missile is gone. <laughs> Ruh-roh. I will accept that in this case, because I enjoy these rules so much. And also, just the spell list for first level spells, there's not a lot of them. You don't have a lot to choose from when you're first starting out. Well, I mean, the three little brown books combined into this 180-page volume is so compact, the entirety of the spell list is 10 whole pages of the book. Yeah. Try that today. You do. I, I dare you. you know. <laughs> okay. Corbett? So in the adventuring rules, there was a funny little chart. I mean, it was understandable. So an outdoor adventuring 
kind of quick chart for if your characters get lost. If, if you want to just roll, it's a D6, basically a, on, a, on a one, most of the time you're going to get lost. And some, sometimes it's, uh, I think, the swamps and deserts for like one to three. But I thought it was funny that a city is nullified. You can never get lost in the city. Oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah, I could, I could do that in any city I, I, <laughs> that I that I live in. Liz almost got us lost between the hotel and the deli. <laughs> I know, <laughs> one mile away. <laughs> to be mm-hmm. fair, part of that was the GPS's fault. That was terrible, and I just hate driving. <laughs> <laughs> so, no GPS in original D and D. Got it. Yep. Or maybe there is, but it's like only like TomTom or something. It's only good in cities. I don't know. Okay, Liz? I really enjoyed this. The grappling rules. Ah! This is the most awesome version of grappling rules for D&D ever. You totally stole my number one. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> gotcha. Freaking, freaking. Yes, I love those rules, too. They, they are, are so amazing easy. and easy and just yeah uncomplicated ah it's like oh my gosh you roll d6s for each of your levels or your hit dice and if the victim's score is less than the attacker's score he's pinned if it's a tie they're still struggling and if the attacker wins well ta-da it is and if you're, the, you're grappled and, and you're yeah. pin- and how long are you pinned the number of rounds equal to the difference between the two rolls yeah Done. it's like wow this is this is awesome yeah why didn't we stay with this? Because advanced. <laughs> Had to create a rule system that nobody wanted to use. Well, I mean, it's easy to be our age, and I'm saying that generously since I'm older than most of you. It's easy to be our age and like rules light, but when I was a kid in the day, you couldn't make a system crunchy enough for me. I mean, champions, my God. AD&D 1Es broke me, even when I loved champions. It just, uh, uh. Uh, didn't care. <laughs> like, I'll stab him. I don't care. Or I'll give up. I'm not wrestling him. No. Okay. Mike, what's your number, whatever we're on? Three. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm still resentful that Liz stole my thing. <laughs> Fight me. We'll grapple for it. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're armed with a cat. I'm not doing that. Okay. <laughs> I like how bits of the Greyhawk rules were used to put in to make the game complete. However, and I like how they did it. They didn't just say, you know, optional rule or see appendices. No, they just said like this. And in Greyhawk, it's like this. You know, they just actually speak it out in the text, which I think is nice. But a very light touch. Yeah. My only grouse about it is I kind of wish he'd have done more of that with the chainmail rules, because he basically defaults to the Greyhawk combat rules, which it's what we all used. So not a big deal, but I'd like to see how he would have tried to edit and explain out the chainmail rules for combat. I think that'd have been neat. I don't know what version I share with you guys, but one of the appendices is, it's a whole page and a half, but it's its that, combat using chainmail rules, like if you want to joust or something. But not individual combat, just joust and mass combat? Well, it's the whole system, but it's its way back in the last appendices. Maybe That's I the s- version I have. Okay, maybe I missed that. Well, crud. Oh well. All right, number two, Jim. 
I don't know if you guys experienced this. Mike, you might have. Since I started at, in 79, where the first couple of DMs had started with Brown Books and then had graduated to AD&D as those books came out, that was when I started. And uh, there were a lot of, you know, when you've been running a game two or three years, you have your house rules, your defaults. And there were a lot of that in these rules, and I didn't know that's where it came from. I understand why other people would like it differently, but I started with Conga Line Initiative. And it is so different than even uh, saying playing Swords and Wizardry rules is written where it's still it's individual initiative and i just that's how we started and like in dcc and mcc i think the rule is uh at zero and first level you do conga line initiative it's i don't care it's just easy i mean missile fire and spells go off first for a side then melee combat and then it reverses the other way but it's just nice simple easy to play it's not everybody roll initiative and get out your notepad okay mm-hmm. i like conga line initiative because it's just simple and fun and who cares <laughs> yeah uh, it, no, not a fan. No, I mean it's fine by me. I was going to say, in fact, you know, when it came to AD and D, even back in the day, we never actually played it initiative fully as written. The whole declare your actions, then roll initiative. And I've often thought that would be fun to run a an AD and D game where I required that because I think it would really change how play worked out. Well, I just imprinted on it because that was one of the rules they carried over into AD and D when I was learning to play. And how did you guys DM the first few times? You just DM'd the way you were DM'd, right? Right. And you now HL and them pretty much did, like you said, conga line initiative. And so that's just what we did. And that's what we stuck with. And it's what we use even today. So I tried doing it by the book in Morrow Project, which does a reverse. You roll initiative, and then everybody declares their actions from the person who did it worst to best, and then you actually execute those from best to lowest. But in the end, we end up just dropping back to Connelly Initiative, because, well, that's what we do. Anyway. Okay. Corbett, too. I thought their idea of written orders in the initiative was kind of a neat concept that I don't remember from the gray book at all. But the idea is you write down what you're going to do that turn. And then if you're simultaneously doing something, it, it, it's a way so you don't like, well, I'm doing this instead of him doing that. And you just argue over something silly. It's changed the concept of the conga line for me. It's very, dare I say, like diplomacy where you were supposed to write written orders, and then when the turn was done, everybody put their orders out, and they all happened simultaneously. Which I'm betting that's an Arneson thing that was put in. Could be. Because of the way he would run stuff is kind of like that, from what I gathered. Could be. Um, Len Lakofka was really big in the diplomacy field. He may have had some input with Gygax on that, too, but you're probably right. Mm-hmm. You're pro- it was probably Arneson's thing. I just I was reading up on them both, and I realized Gary Gygax created Chainmail. Arneson was using Bromstein, which... From what I read about Bromstein, is more or less like a like a theater of villagers selling stuff. From what I gather, yeah, it's very free form. Yeah, but it's it's, it's a little more diplomacy based, where you're yeah. making negotiations and dealing things instead of fighting things. And he started using chainmail, and then Gary showed up and went, "Oh, well, that's a cool way to do it." So yeah, Arneson and the ultimate best friends ever became. And they never had any problems at all, ever. <laughs> never, For, ever, ever. <laughs> best frenemies, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, written orders. I thought that was a clever yeah. thing. I don't remember in the Brown books, so. I didn't either. But yeah, I would suspect that probably came from diplomacy. But anyway. Not not to dis- dismay the conga line. I'm okay with it. I just like, well, it's nice to have that kind of, the same things happening at the same time. Yeah. Here's, here's what happens in modern rule set with personal initiative. If you're a spellcaster, you want to roll low in initiative order because that lets you see how that melee round 
round plays out before you have to say what spell you're going to cast. You oh, can yeah. use it to your advantage as opposed to, okay, this was 10 seconds. What do you do? And you've got to know what spell you're prepping and without input, a lot of input from the players around you. Oh, and tell everybody first thing that morning, stay out of my firing solution. We won't have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Point magic user toward enemy. Sort of like a claymore. <laughs> Light magic user, get then away. get away. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, magic user is self-lighting. <laughs> Okay, Liz, too. So another thing that I found of interest was talking about the various magical items and the magical swords. In this version, all any sword that you find has an opportunity to be intelligent. It says, you know, swords alone possess certain human attributes. They have an alignment they have an intelligence factor and an egoism rating if their intelligence factor is high enough. enough. So it's pretty much saying, if I'm reading this correctly, every sword you find... Magical sword. Yeah, every magical sword you find has an alignment. It may not have a high enough intelligence to be able to communicate with you, but they all have an alignment. And if you are not of a corresponding one, you can be in trouble if you pick it up. That'd be hilarious if it was every sword, though. Every single sword. Yeah, even like... Every single sword. I'm her niece, the sword. Can you do anything? Not for you! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I'm with Liz, though. Now we're talking. This is role-playing. You know, you're in the middle of combat having a discussion with your sword. (laughs) Especially if your sword is smarter than you are. Yeah, and they've even got... They've got tables, of course. To say, okay, if the alignments are this, this is the damage that you would get, or etc. So if it's law, chaos, good, evil, that's the maximum damage. But if, say, you or the sword is neutral and the other one is law or chaos, you know, it's only half the damage because the alignment difference is not such a huge divide. And in effect... That potentially reduces usable magic swords by a third to two-thirds. Yeah, and you're not going to just willy-nilly grab every single magic sword you find because you don't know. And they even say, if you get a non-player character to take up a sword to find out what it does or doesn't do, the damage is only going to be one half of that stated above. And because the party is not acting as a free agent. And depending on the sword, it might decide, I am pissed off at you because you made this person pick me up to find out what I do. You're a wuss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, so even though I wouldn't necessarily work for this person, I'm going to give him a goodie. (laughs) And not you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. That's pretty cool. And it makes more than just the, oh, it's just a plus one sword. Give it a little more oomph and personality, even if not direct combat advantage. I love rules like that, Liz, where you can tell it was Gary writing rules to address situations in those <laughs> yeah. initial living room full of teenagers. Because we all went through a murder hobo phase. Imagine it's brand new D&D and it's a bunch of hardened wargaming and miniatures kids. How they're power gaming like mad with every little thing. And Gary's going, nope, you you try and use your retainer to get around this. Here's what happens. Yeah. (laughs) See, you should have used a semen. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) my number two. There is a flat rule in there that characters are required to pay 1% of their experience total in gold. 
for upkeep. Now, I love that rule, but it doesn't say whether that's monthly, weekly, yearly, daily. daily? <laughs> yeah, I, I figure I would probably make it monthly. But since most other upkeep for characters and units and that sort of thing in D&D tends to default to a monthly thing. I like that rule that it's another great way to get huge piles of gold away from players. Rather than, I think I've groused about before, players that have 10,000 gold pieces in a bag of holding, but they're camped out in the woods eating berries off shrubs because that... How dare that in ask for a gold a night? <laughs> You're evil, Mike, because daily upkeep would be beautiful. I mean, I rested and I get my spells back. Well, you didn't pay your upkeep, so no. Oh, no, you don't. You're, you're out of stuff. So, yeah, good one. Take us home, Jim, number one. Oh, oh there's so much we haven't talked about yet. I just, mm-hmm. I, I like this Greyheart D&D as the ultimate rules light system. And I know this is what our friend Tom Tullis uses at GaryCon to run his D&D games. And now that I've read the rules, I understand why. It's just no fuss, no muss. Let's role play, kill some monsters and take their stuff. Everything is just simpler. Little stuff we didn't have time to talk about. The reaction table is a whole three entries long and you throw 2d6. And mm-hmm. the, the other guys are either positive, negative, or uncertain about you and your party. And you just easy peasy deal with done. gradients. Yeah. Yeah. If you so want this, to. Just, this is just rules light. And I, I'm with Liz and Holmes Basic is really, really good little beginner set of rules but i think i might like these even a little better sorry liz you can go further with this than with holmes basic so, i mean so that alone does make it superior oh yeah i mean it's od and d those tables go up to like 25th level yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for letting me off the hook liz you're, you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> what's your number one big mike yeah <laughs> You're skipping Corbett and Liz. <laughs> well, we we are and the rest. Jim, Jim, Jim must no, rest. no, 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 no. Couple pups. Jim just I has told, to go pee. That's all. I told you guys this is my second podcast today. <laughs> Sorry. All right, Corbett. Well, everybody has their ladder to climb, and this is mine. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. Okay. Traveling. Traveling is based on a map hex. A map hex is five miles across, basically. Depends on the map, of course, but they. Say that an average man can travel three map hexes in a day. Three map hexes, 15 miles, roughly means that as a hiking person, I know that they you can basically travel about 15 miles in a day. That is correct. That is absolutely accurate with real world mechanics. Good for them. Inside a dungeon, the average person can travel two squares, which is a 10-foot square in a 10-minute turn. Which means if you start walking for one hour in 10-minute turns, it takes you... Uh, one hour to travel 720 feet, which is it's not even a third. It's a sixth of a mile. Well... You travel a sixth of a mile in an hour, which means you're traveling at 0.136 miles per hour. So as soon as you hit that underground cavern, you pull out your walker <laughs> and start approaching the gelatinous cube. <laughs> which is outrunning you. <laughs> See that gelatinous cube? Shot right by him. I know they're switching over to, to a combat speed, and I get it, but it's well... kind of funny in, in the long term of, like, if you're walking and traveling. They even say, like, if you're really running, you get twice that speed. Point two. <laughs> Well, you're you've got dungeoneering gear. You've got that incredible ladder they yeah, bought. Yeah, you've got that when you're walking 15 miles. <laughs> if you hit a if you fall in a pit and... trap, the first words out of your mouth are going to be, "But I was going slowly." <laughs> and you're mapping. I'm not saying I'm buying this. I'm saying this is the arguments they that are brought out. <laughs> 
Also, do remember, in the dungeon, you have a chance of running into a wandering monster every single hour. So that might also be... Yeah, you're, you're moving at... Curtailing your movement. You're moving at pizzicata violin speed. <laughs> hey, hey, slow down, guys. Slow down. <laughs> hey, watch it there. You didn't look both ways. Liz, I can't even remember if we were in the same group, but we both used to play in Matt Finch's online sword and wizardry campaign. And when we finally got our group dungeoneering, here's how we're going to proceed down. We'd forgotten to have anybody watch our backs. And that's when the chimera started jumping out of nowhere behind us. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I was surprised it wasn't a doppelganger, but oh well. Chimeras are bad too, definitely. Everybody, get to the walkers! (laughs) (laughs) The thief, you've got wheels on yours, you get out front. (laughs) If you're a fighter, mount your shield to the walker. Riding on the wings of the wind. Me and my walker attempt to hide in shadows. I got my ten foot pole. Tap, 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 tap. Uh, wait, I've... I've disguised my walker to look like a chest of drawers, <laughs> so I just duck down behind it, and hopefully no one will notice that it's not actually part and of the dungeon. Written on it in big letters is "Not a mimic." <laughs> so everyone will stay away from it because naturally they'll think it's a mimic. And yeah, okay, a not a mimic. Please open. Please open. <laughs> a little clerk sign. I assure you, I'm not a mimic. <laughs> Please come closer. Ah, all right. Liz, number one. The encumbrance table is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going there. It's done in gold piece weight. And I believe as Corbett has mentioned before, every 10 coins weighs equals one pound. On the table, a wand with a case is 100 gold pieces or 10 pounds of weight, which weighs more than a sword which is 50 gold pieces or five pounds of weight. So what is the wand case made of? Lead? Maybe. Is, is the wand actually a staff? And it's in its own case? And it kind of no, no, you know, no, sticks no. out behind your shoulders as it you're It can't walking? be a staff because a wizard can't use a staff. They can only use daggers. So which way less? It's like, why, why is this wand twice the weight of a sword? Liz, it, it's like when I was fighting live steel and we used those incredibly uh-huh. heavy swords for training. With the idea that when it came to actual combat, the regular swords will be much lighter. This is a lead wand. <laughs> it's a training it's wand. It's a training wand. <laughs> you get, get the proper flourish. <laughs> At that weight, it should be freaking unobtainium. <laughs> well, see, now we know why they're traveling so slow in the dungeons. Because they're dragging exactly. this thing along. Yeah. Come on, you magic user. <laughs> oh, guys. Wait. Come <laughs> on, Caddy. I'll take the number seven. You're, you gotta hire hobbits for something, right? Am I right? Okay. Sorry, James Spawn. All right. You done? I'm done. Bye. <laughs> she's, she's done. She stirred the pot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's an explanation, pretty traditional from original and classic D&D, is that no fighters or any class should earn enough experience to go up more than one level per session. Okay. Then they give the example. For example, 
A first level fighter earns 5,000 experience points in one session. They can only go up to second level. Sure. How the heck did he earn 5,000 XP in one session? We had to haggle. Did their first level party kill a lich? What? He found an (laughs) orc army at the bottom of a cliff where there was a nice boulder position. (laughs) (laughs) That said, push me. (laughs) I'm not a mimic. <laughs> and it rolled down and the and the orcs were coming up a cliff edge so they were all in one line and it just a conga line and they were last line. initiative and and the not a mimic boulder had its mouth open so it just went <laughs> which case the mimic should have gotten the xp actually but uh, that just kind of blew my mind i knew in original D xp and gold were both kind of rather higher than in later editions but wow that just blew my mind and it kind of makes you wonder how far off the base was monty hall in those articles in dragon magazine eh Mm -hmm. all right well that's our top five then so let's take another pod break and then when we come back what makes the save and what pre-arcs Hey everyone, this is Tim from Tomorrow's End Podcast. If you're interested in post-apocalyptic moral project, then Tomorrow's End Podcast is for you. You can hear us at tomorrowsend.org, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, and more. Open your mind to new Dungeons & Dragons computer game from Mattel Electronics. It will lead your imagination down a dungeon labyrinth wherein lies the dragon's treasure. Steal his treasure, but make no false moves. For in Dungeons & Dragons, a dead end is a dead end. New Dungeons & Dragons from Mattel Electronics. What makes a save, and what is going to take? Free art! We'll reverse order now, sort of, and start with Liz this time. What makes the save? Pretty much just reiterating what I said in my first impressions. Like, this game was so well put together, and so many bits and pieces that... I either never knew or just simply forgot about coming to the fore because it's where it ought to be in the rules. It's almost as though I have read an absolutely brand new game. And it's awesome. I love it. What doesn't make the save? Uh, what arcs? I, I I don't I don't know. I <laughs> I like everything. Doesn't, I mean, even the weird stuff. You know, it's like doesn't just, have magic missile. I, I mean. <laughs> Maybe okay. What doesn't make the save? They barely have anything to say about cobalts. You know, it's like, okay. Um, it's, honestly, I I don't know. They're having to reach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like well, talking about co- cobalts. Treat them as goblins, okay? Oh. And, <laughs> that, it's like no, nope, that's it. That's racist, dude. <laughs> Liz is like, but I'm not the queen of goblins. <laughs> I know. I can't be the goblin queen. Or can you? you have to hang out with David Bowie. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, 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 now. Hey, now. We don't have that kind of marriage. I- I'm hey. willing to negotiate on hey, that. Hey, hey, I'm not. <laughs> I am so not. <laughs> you can't be Madeline Pryor. There. Oh, deep, all right. Deep cut for X Men. Ooh. Okay, Corbett, save my marriage. 
I, uh, I'm, I, to make the save, yeah, I think we're all probably on the same makes the save. It's really good. It's a great compilation. It has all the rules. I would probably agree with Jim that it does kind of rival Holmes as far as the retouch. I think that's kind of, that's really my doesn't make the save, is that it's it's an incredibly Monday morning quarterback to say, like, it's great because it's it's been 40 years. Hey, I'm going to make a manuscript and in 40 years, make it good. Yeah, yeah but this, yeah. this, this, this version <laughs> shows you it was good. Like, I didn't think that before this. No, no, I, I get it. Years, I'm not, I'm not hating on it. Huh? 46 years. 46 No, wait, 48 years. years. Quiet, you! <laughs> <laughs> but my my point being that it, it is a little Monday morning quarterback in that sense. Not not a bad thing, but it's just there there has been revisions since then. I mean, Holmes Basic was the revision, and then Mulvey Cook was the revision of that, and then uh, Mincer was the revision of that, and then, of course, Advanced. <laughs> 1E, 2E, 3E, 4E, 5E, yeah. But I will say it is a great, a great revision. I like it. Okay. I can see why... Uh, um, my my Jim recommended it, and thanks for recommending it, Jim. It's a good read. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. You think it gets great as Monday morning quarterbacking? I think it's great. I just think that, like, it, in a way, the bad thing is it, it's it's kind of weird to say it's great when it's after everything has happened. Okay. Like, it's a great revision a long time later. Well, I don't think that's Monday morning quarterbacking. I think, especially in American culture, we have this concept that a newer edition of something must, by definition, be better. Mm. And that's not the case, necessarily. I mean, if we stop and think about it logically, we know that. But I think in our American guts, we always think newer, better. Well, oh, yeah. It's, it's one better than the last one. Right. <laughs> or stay with me here. You could conceivably enjoy playing fifth edition with its three or four death saves before you even croak and all the other stuff and also enjoy playing a nice stripped down compact well-balanced rule set exactly you can put them both exactly one does not necessarily mean is must must be better than the other it's just different mm. and most of it is in mindset as john peterson often tells us I don't. <laughs> and of course he's listening so he heard me say hi <laughs> Sure is. I'm such I a fanboy. I bet fan he does boy. listen. I'm such a fanboy. <laughs> okay, Jim? Oh, yeah, tell me. Sorry. I want to have John <laughs> Peterson's baby some days. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. What comes out Things just come out of my mouth sometimes. Well, what makes a save for this is what I just said. It's nice. You want to have John Peterson's baby? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Sorry. That's just an expression of affection. You know, you could you could bring up Jan the Toyota lady, and I'm like, oh, I want to have her babies. You know. I threw you off there. What makes the save? This is just delightful, compact, stripped down, and surprisingly well-balanced rule set. Uh, only a half step from Holmes Basic D&D, which I did not know until I got my hands on it and read it. So I, I just love it. What doesn't make the save is you can't just go out and buy it. I mean, we spend an hour talking about it and you can't go out and buy it. You can, however, just do a little search engine work, do it yourself, guys, like we used to do for adventures in the day, and then pay the print-on-demand vendor of your choice four or five bucks to print you a copy. Or you could just print it out and bind it yourself at home and you can have it. I mean, it's it's out there. You just got to find it. I mean, don't be an asshole and uh, start selling it. Screw this up for all of us. Yeah. And if you're listening at the new TSR, yes, you should. Please go out and add this to your litigation. Go print this and start selling it. But everybody else, just be cool. Give wizards <laughs> something else to come down on you about. Right, right, right. Okay. And no save? That That's the part that doesn't make the save. We've talked about it. Now everybody's fired up and wants to go get it. Well, you got to work a little for it. Yeah. Go find it on 
Google or whatever. Okay, wow, so Mike, you just really don't hear a downside, do you? I, I, well, I mean, it's so wrapped up in the original good side, it's hard for me to discriminate sometimes. 2022, that is a downside, because I decided I wanted my great-nephews to have a D&D starter set, and I ordered it yesterday, and it showed up today by Amazon. So in that world, okay, you got to yeah. go search for this and print it yourself or whatever. Guys, if y'all were like Liz and said doesn't make the save or doesn't briark then gave it it would help me out a lot wow way to kiss up be like liz <laughs> hey my marriage is in jeopardy right now I gotta <laughs> come on come on david bowie come on <laughs> there's no conga line initiative on the living room couch mike yeah yeah <laughs> well you're you're probably safe because He's dead. David Bowie is dead. <laughs> uh, but that movie will live on. And honestly, even if he was alive, I would never have a chance with him. <laughs> You'd have more of a chance than any of us. Probably. 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 Anyway. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd throw a stone at him. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have his babies, but give it a shot. I'm going to save you from having to edit that one out, Corbett. All right. My num- makes the save. Again, hate to sound like everybody else, but I would like to personally thank Greyharp for doing this because I wanted us to cover original D&D eventually. And this is a vastly better way of covering it than having to go through the original Little Brown books and supplements. It's just easier and leaves us saner. And I'm just very thankful to him for that work. He worked hard, so we didn't have to. He's our RPG scrubbing bubble. What doesn't, or makes the Briarch, I should say, well... And this is just a personal thing. Here it comes. <laughs> I wish he had included, at least, I think this is a what Briarchs, because I, I missed going into that appendices. So I wish he had a little more of the chainmail rules there. But according to Jim, it is in the back there in the appendices. I must have missed it when I flipped through the appendices. You might not have. There are different versions of the document going around. Okay. Yeah, Appendix C in the one I've got talks about using chainmail in combat. Okay, then I don't have a Briarch because if it's there and we're using the same one, it means I just missed it when I fl- when I converted it to MP3s and read through it. What was that other thing the little brown book said you needed? Outdoor survival. The out- the outdoor survival board got, game. got yeah. yoinked. It's out. Yeah. Mm. And that's probably best because even though you can get a copy, if it's available on uh, Noble Knight, Outdoor Survival is like nine bucks. Appendix A was the thieves, and what was Appendix B? I forget. Uh, ladders. Jousting. Oh, yeah. Catapults and jousting. Oh. And I, ladders. The importance and ladders. of ladders. The importance of ladders. <laughs> and a- Using ladders and jousting. <laughs> I think Outdoor Survival was just 1974 for Here's a Hex Map. Yeah. And rules <laughs> on how to get lost in the woods. You know, and starve to death or or get bitten mm-hmm. by a snake or whatever. Well, you won't get lost in the city. Very true. Because there's no city survival put out by Avalon <laughs> Hill, which is a pity. That would have been interesting. And at $9 nowadays, that'd be like $3 back in the 70s or 2 or $3 back in the 70s. So it's next to nothing if you really want to do it old, 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 old school. <laughs> anyway, that has been Original Dungeons and Dragons edited by Greyharp. Hope everyone's enjoyed it and we'll be seeing you guys anon say good night everybody so classy good night good night anon <laughs> good night what didn't make the briarch briarch that was briarch <laughs> a lot <laughs> Podcast is a 
production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The same for half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. Come on now. You wouldn't say no to a lady. I don't know why not. They always say no to me. You've been listening to the Save for Half podcast. A podcast about old school role-playing games and the modern games inspired by them. You can write us at podcast at gmail.com Or visit our website at www.saveforhalf.com where you can read blog posts or comment on shows. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash half. And our forums at osr.org and odnd74.proboards.com. And if you're enjoying the show, feel free to check out our Patreon page and help support to keep these shows running. The Safer Half podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are strictly forbidden. Penalties include level loss, attribute reduction, or being beaten to death by your hirelings.